This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The COVID-19 pandemic has declined significantly this year. The global monkeypox outbreak is waning, and there have been no cases of Ebola in Uganda for more than three weeks. That's WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus on hopes that some major global health threats will wind down in 2023. Details coming up. Also, Ethiopian officials are in Tigray's capital to help oversee implementation of a peace deal. And rights groups have accused Cameroon's military of torching homes of suspected separatist supporters. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. For the first time in nearly two years, Ethiopian officials have arrived in Tigray's capital, Makale, to join in overseeing implementation of a November peace deal. Mohamed Yasuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. The Speaker of Ethiopia's Parliament, Tegese Chafodulo, arrived in Tigray's capital, Makele, on Monday as leader of the first federal delegation to the region since war broke out in November 2020. The delegation, which state media says includes members of Ethiopia's National Dialogue Commission, are in Tigray to work on implementing an African Union brokered peace deal to end the deadly two-year conflict. The November deal signed in South Africa saw Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front agree to cease fighting and for foreign fighters to leave, for the TPLF to disarm and for blocked aid and services to be restored. The visit will be seen as a sign that the peace deal is holding despite TPLF allegations and reports of continued killings, looting and rape by Amhara region militias and Eritrean forces. Eritrea and the regional militias were not party to the peace deal. Eritrea and Ethiopia have denied Asmara's involvement in Tigray, though last year Eritrea acknowledged its troops' presence and said they will be withdrawn. Mediators from Kenya and the African Union are also expected to visit Mekele this week after Ethiopia and the TPLF agreed Thursday to a joint monitoring team. Ethiopia has gradually lifted a blockade on desperately needed food and medical aid to Tigray and restored some telecommunications. The two-year conflict is estimated to have killed hundreds of thousands of people and displaced millions. But information is hard to verify in Tigray and Ethiopia has also blocked journalists from entering the region. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. In a review of global health in 2022, the head of the World Health Organization expressed optimism that many of this year's health emergencies would come to an end during the new year. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus gave a grim assessment of the many health challenges and threats people around the world have faced this year. 
Topping the list was the COVID-19 pandemic, which has sickened and killed millions of people for a third year. He noted a global outbreak of monkeypox, now known as Mpox, an Ebola outbreak in Uganda, and cholera outbreaks in multiple countries as other health crises. He said these emergencies were compounded by wars in Ethiopia and Ukraine, as well as climate disasters, including drought and flooding in the Greater Horn of Africa and the Sahel, and flooding in Pakistan. And yet, as 2022 draws to a close, he said there were many reasons for hope. The COVID-19 pandemic has declined significantly this year. The global monkeypox outbreak is waning, and there have been no cases of Ebola in Uganda for more than three weeks. We're hopeful that each of these emergencies will be declared over at different points next year. While the pandemic is not over, Tedro said great progress has been made in containing its spread. He noted one year ago, COVID-19 was killing 50,000 people a week. This now has dropped to fewer than 10,000 deaths a week. Despite this significant decline, he cautioned, the virus is here to stay and people have to learn how to manage the disease. He urged vigilance, masking, social distancing, and above all else, vaccinating. Looking ahead to next year, he said WHO's focus will be on health promotion and disease prevention. Instead of focusing uh, on sick care like we do, we focus on health care meaning keeping people healthy. And we will do everything to make that happen. But for that to happen, we will also focus on pushing for universal health coverage, especially with a shift to primary health care as a foundation. The WHO chief cited emergency preparedness and response as another priority. With new virus strains emerging, he emphasized the importance of doing everything possible to prepare the world for future pandemics. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A UN report this week says Malawi has 3,000 children working in its tobacco industry, despite abolishing a tenancy system last year that was blamed for fueling child labor. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights on Wednesday released a statement expressing concern about the findings of the report. Shivan Marari is the UN Special Rapporteur on Trafficking in Persons and an expert who contributed to the report. She told VOA Thursday that their concern followed dialogue they had with Malawi government officials and tobacco companies operating in Malawi. Over two months ago, we sent formal communications to the companies and to the government of Malawi. Um, those are all published, as are their responses. Uh, we will continue to work with them um, and to raise these concerns. Malawi last year enacted laws against the tenancy system, an often exploitative agrarian labor practice, also known as sharecropping, which was long blamed for fueling child labor in the tobacco industry. But the UN expert report says the human rights abuses reported within the sector affected over 3,000 children and 7,000 adults. It also says in the aftermath of COVID-19, more than 400,000 children were reported not to have returned to school. 
So this is really why we want to see much more urgent action to monitor um, the situation and prevent any such occurrence. And the risks of exploitation need to be better addressed. The tobacco companies and government need to take greater efforts to prevent the recruitment and exploitation of children uh, on tobacco forms and to ensure their protection. Tobacco is Malawi's dominant cash crop, which accounts for about 13% of its gross domestic product and 60% of the country's exchange earnings. However, in 2019, the U.S. government suspended Malawi tobacco imports after child labor allegations. This forced Malawi President Lazarus Chakwera to assent to legislation in 2021 amending the Employment Act, establishing provisions that abolish the tenancy system. The Malawi government is currently running various programs aimed to end child labor, including the National Social Cash Transfer Program, which supports low-income families in high-risk districts to enable children to stay in school. However, the UN has reported that efforts undertaken by Malawi and by some tobacco companies, including by supporting school feeding programs and scholarships, are proving insufficient to address the problem. The government can ensure that there are inspections and monitoring, that there is uh, access for labour inspectors, for civil society, and ensure that all steps are being taken by those companies that have permission to operate um, if it is a trafficking issue. So it requires cooperation also with law enforcement. The UN researchers say they already discussed the matter with some of the many companies involved in tobacco industry in Malawi, including British American Tobacco, Philip Morris International and Japan Tobacco Group. Simon Evans is Group Media Relations Manager for Imperial Blunts PLC Tobacco Company. He told VOA through an email Thursday that the company takes matters raised in the UN report very seriously and that the company does not condone exploitative practices in its supply chains as made clear in its code of conduct which was published on its corporate website. Evans said as a long-standing member of the Eliminating Children Labor in a Tobacco Growing Foundation, the company is working to prevent exploitation through multi-stakeholder initiatives. These include the industry-wide sustainable tobacco program in which all tobacco source suppliers are expected to participate to address child labor. Vera Gantukule is Minister of Labor in Malawi. She told VOA that the Malawi government is running a program which enrolls children withdrawn from child labor into schools as well as vocational training institutions. Gantukule says the Malawi government is however working to eliminate child labor by 2025. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Three prominent figures in the Democratic Republic of Congo say President Felix Teshikedi's reliance on foreign forces to end conflict is fostering fractures that could break up the country. The French news agency AFP says Denis Mukwege, 
a Nobel Peace Prize winner for helping women victims of sexual violence, former Prime Minister Augustine Matata Ponyo, and politician Martin Fuyuyu, who was defeated in elections in 2018, issued a joint statement. It focused on Tisha Kedi's reliance on East African troops to end fighting by the M23 and other rebel groups in eastern DRC. Independent UN observers say one of the countries in the seven-nation EAC force, Rwanda, supports the M23, a charge Kigali denies. They also claim Uganda is backing other militias. The three men say relying on outside forces rather than creating an effective national army could lead to the fragmentation and balkanization of the country. Rights groups in Cameroon have accused the military of torching scores of homes last week of suspected separatist supporters, leaving hundreds of people homeless this holiday season. The military has denied burning any civilian houses. Mokirwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Cameroon civil society groups say hundreds of people rendered homeless by this week's attacks are seeking refuge in churches. Some of the homeless are living with relatives and well-wishers within their community, according to the Roman Catholic Church in Cameroon's restive northwest region. Rights groups, civilians and members of the church have been sharing videos of at least 12 houses burned on Thursday in Yer, a village in Jakiri district. In the videos shared on social media platforms including Facebook and WhatsApp, a man, identifying himself as a community leader, accuses Cameroon's government troops of torching the houses. We are at the road linking Kumbo to Jakiri, precisely at here, where these buildings were raised down by the military. The military has burned down buildings due to the incident that led to the loss of military, and they resorted in burning down these buildings to ashes. That is a sign of weakness. Cameroon military confirmed that the video was taken after government troops attacked a separatist camp in Yale on Thursday to free civilians who were held hostage by separatist fighters. At least four fighters were killed, but no government troops were wounded, according to the military. Separatists say at least seven government troops were killed. The government says frustrated fighters escaped from their camp at year and set fire to the houses of people who the separatists accuse of collaborating with government troops. Tar Emmanuel Tata is a member of the Cameroon Civil Society Group. He says more than 40 houses have been torched this week in year Kima and Miluf, all villages in the northwest region. Tar says government troops organized reprisal attacks on civilians who the military accused of collaborating with separatists. It is really, really terrible that things have gone this way again with the burning of houses. When people thought that everything was becoming normal, it's going to scare people from coming back home. Those who have returned to the northwest and southwest regions will again find themselves internally displaced. The government should uh, use the right approach to solve this problem. Rights groups say some of the troops also looted homes before torching them. Ta said the right approach will be for government troops to stop searching homes in towns and villages suspected to host separatist fighters. 
He said government troops should withdraw and allow only police officers to maintain law and order in western towns and villages where peace and civilians are returning. Arms groups have been fighting to break off the largely English-speaking northwest and southwest regions from the rest of Cameroon and its French-speaking majority since 2017. Last week, the government said several thousand of the 750,000 people displaced by the separatist conflict had returned home for the first time since hostilities began in 2017. The military said no major separatist attack had been reported within the past six weeks. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. One of the goals of the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit was boosting trade and investment between African nations and the United States. VOA's Mariama Diallo spoke with Benedict Orama, the president and chair of the African Export-Import Bank, about the $500 million deal his bank signed with the U.S. Exim Bank during the recent summit. Uh, it is a manual of understanding for collaboration to support trade and investment between Africa and the U.S., uh, with special focus on diaspora engagement. Um, we have an envelope of $500 million attached to that uh, manual of understanding. So what is that? Is that a loan? Is that a, a, a grant? What, what, what is Well, it will be largely a loan. Uh, and we use it to support a variety of initiatives that will emerge from this summit. Uh, we will use it to support uh, diaspora engagement. Uh, the work uh, we at Fresen Bank is doing uh, to promote diaspora, the creative industry, and also the work the U.S. XM and the U.S. government, in fact, is doing uh, to um, engage the African diaspora in the U.S. We uh, also we use this funding to support the critical sectors that Africa needs, the healthcare sector, uh, the um, climate adaptation projects, um, aspects of uh, transportation infrastructure, uh, and uh, power uh, as need be. So this is going to be something very, very um, uh, impactful. Because don't forget that U.S. Exim is the Exim Bank for the U.S., helping to promote U.S. trade 
exports around the world. Afrizin Bank is Africa's Exim Bank, who's hoping to promote trade and inter African trade and Africa's to export around the world. So what what the partnership we have will help us do is to support Afrexim Bank to uh, finance in a very efficient way heavy equipment, uh, uh, capital goods that we need to, to use to create new exports out of Africa, that we need to use to build out uh, the health infrastructure for health residents on our continent. That's what it will help us uh, do. And of course, the diaspora and engagement is supporting the creative industry, uh, which is the main focus of our present bank's activities. And we expect that we can leverage it for five times. Um, and that, that will tell you what it can do. Uh, and as we also operate and show businesses that things are possible, there will be other engagements, other investments that will happen outside the framework of this arrangement. And that's why this is a game changer in the reset button that Africa and the U.S. Are, have decided to press uh, this week. Well, this comes, this is my last question, comes, uh, you know, with, um, we know it with the Africa uh, Free uh, Continental Trade Agreement. Uh, you talk about trade earlier and how important it is to encourage and, 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 and nourish uh, uh, um, all the uh, leverage it, basically. So would it have any impact on that? Would it, some of this money be used to help that? Yeah, yes, you know, we are the, we are the Africa's bank, Africa's trade Development Bank that supports the AFCFTA. Of course, uh, our cardinal principle: anything that anything we do, the first test is what impact will it have on the AFCFTA. Yeah, I like that's why I thought it's great. If it, does, if, it doesn't, if it won't have any positive impact, we will not get into it uh, because it will mean we're working against ourselves. I just mentioned to you, we are trying to build regional supply chains. Regional supply chains will require capital goods to help support our industrial base. Regional supply chains will require that we support our creative industry uh, because that is what is helping us to propagate understanding of our cultures all across our continent. Regional supply chains will require that we have rail links, we have road links, and this is going to deal with it. We need investors to come to Africa, but the investors will not come if they look around and they say, well, if I fall ill, where will I go? I can only be taken abroad. Many will not come. Uh, and that is why we want to use this to support the projects we are doing. That was Benedict Orama, the president and chair of the African Export-Import Bank. He spoke with my colleague Maria Madialo on the sidelines of last week's U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Alex Santos, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
Africa Radio, we let the sound tell you the story. News, sports, science and entertainment, available to you 24-7. Tune in on your local FM stations. We are also available on the medium waves, 909 kHz and 1530 kHz. Our short waves are 6080, 15580, 4930, 15165, 15580, and 17530 kHz. VOA Africa, your trusted source.